Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them. Chris, any. And I think that still leaves us one person short of forming a fearsome fighting team. Did we not consider this? I mean, we're also, none of us, I believe, teenagers either, which might interfere <laughs> with our particular branding. Yeah, or turtles, but, you know. I mean. Have either of you two studied any ninja-adjacent martial arts? Yes, actually. That's true, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. We're getting closer. Now we have to get our, uh, somehow get the bandanas that cover our eyes that we can somehow see through and yeah. still have facial expressions uh-huh. around. And, and yet they have pure white over the area where the eyes are. Or their eyes are pure white. Uh, I mean, that's... No, because you see them without the bandanas and they're decidedly not, but, you know. Yeah. I guess it depends media. on which iteration of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you're talking about. Yes, what a great that is indeed the problem. <laughs> Well, I think we'll have a chance to talk about that sort of thing. Uh, it's been a long time since we had a Ninja Turtles episode, because, Tori, you and me and Dom did Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles way back in, like, the early double digits somewhere, right? It was, like, I don't know, 12 or something. I- I'm too lazy to check. It was, yeah, it was a couple years ago. I remember that, like, I had gotten a bunch of comics when I was in Chicago at the time. And one of them was like a Christmas special comic. And it was topical because so is our fanfic, like a Christmas themed Turtles fanfic. So must have been about two years ago, year and a half. Well, I think that means that way back in the day, you and I must have talked about our background with Ninja Turtles. But Chris, we're going to need to learn you and your Ninja Turtles feelings and experiences. Okay. I just like to comment that I think the correct way to say what has just been restated is um, for Tori's and Amato's previous experience with Ninja Turtles, see uh, episode number whichever. <laughs> yeah. Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles. And also bear in mind that it is not very interesting, so you don't have to go back and look for that specifically. But the fanfic was interesting, so do go listen to it. Yeah, that's, uh, you know... That's what the fanfic does, is it it does go back and say, see this for this particular reference, which I appreciate it, but we'll yeah. get there. Well, and that is very authentic to the canon of the comic books, wherein if something has happened previously, the CPMNT number two, number eight, number 21. <laughs> So, Chris, does that mean that you have read the original Mirage Ninja Turtles? Some of it, certainly. Um, I think my most, uh, not, it's something that I've read more recently. Um, my first experience with the Ninja Turtles, I think, was the um, 1987 TV show, but I certainly watched a lot of the 2003 TV show, which was more heavily based on the comics than the original um, cartoon was. Certainly, um, 
Ninja Turtles is and a, a feature of um, media that I've consumed for a very long time. It's something that definitely impacted my childhood, so. <laughs> it's kind sometimes of hard I to avoid it about... doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Like, I sometimes I just think about how, like, you know, Eastman and Laird were just, like, sitting around doodling turtles and, like, we're going to put some comics out. And then it became this huge cultural landmark you know like there's so much turtles legacy it pervaded like all of the media and culture mostly i would say of the 90s but still now people know it it's so prolific yeah it's not like my kids have any ninja turtles exposure but we still have a pair of ninja turtles underwear in circulation that one of them wears like a little ninja turtle sneaks in that's like a thing right like ninja turtles underwear I was just rewatching a Boy Meets World, like the 90s sitcom. And there was an episode where he has the main character has like Ninja Turtles underwear that he's embarrassed about. Like there's cultural reference points. I was actually just watching a current show that's set in 96 where one of the characters had Ninja Turtles. And it's a British show and they had Ninja Turtles bed sheets. I was just like, it's just there. You know? Tori, I think you mean uh, Hero Turtles. Oh yeah, that is a thing in the UK. Wait, really? For some reason. Yeah, Ninja was something you could not put on kids' television, so they're hero turtles. That's crazy. I did not know that. Okay, so Chris, two more questions. First, favorite Ninja Turtles video game? It's gotta be the classic side-scrolling beat-em-up Turtles in Time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how could it not be, right? I mean, I guess you could in be a fan opinion. of the original beat 'em up that is not. And that is also time. a very good game. Well, depending on which version of it, I think some were better than others. <laughs> Would require me really going through a video game backlog to sort that one out, though. And second, favorite turtle? Leonardo, as it turns out. Um, I was. I mean, maybe that's not the most interesting answer. I don't quite know what the the makeup of a general audience was in regards to favorite turtle, turtle but um, I did always like the um, devotion to the art of ninjutsu that Leo had in most of the continuities. And um, I mean, it bore out in being a relatively interesting character. Also, I mean, like, he definitely got some of the better storylines. <laughs> Chris, since now I'm thinking about Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles, that was a post-Mirage series, um, you know, story, like some years, you know, in the future. And like, you know, the Turtles have split up and they all have their own lives and like they have jobs and, you know, Raphael's an artist and Donatello does some like computer programming on the side. And, you know, I forget what Mikey does. And they all have like human friends who, you know, are in on their secret. And Leonardo is still living in the sewer with Splinter and his occupation is ninja. Like, he's the one who's all in. That's not the case. It's interesting. I feel like um, in some incarnations, like that makes him almost one dimensional. But like in, I think the better done turtle incarnations, he's just like a very, um, I don't know, like Chris said, devoted, but also just like very reasonable. He's supposed to be the leader right? Like, supposed to be, like, the reasonable level-headed one. I think that works, like, I think that's a really admirable character beat. That's why I really like him, too, you know? 
just kind of like him. Seems like a good guy. I, you know, I'm a Usagi Ojimbo fan. And so, like, I've read most of the crossovers in at least the Usagi Ojimbo comics. And I watched the parts of the 2003 series that had Miyamoto Usagi in them. And it's... I, I like the friendship between Usagi and Leonardo because honestly, Leonardo can relate better to like a medieval samurai than to his own brothers a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I guess we should talk about this fanfic, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, cowabunga, dude. Yes, that is a thing some of the turtles in this fanfic might say. <laughs> we. We're looking at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Transcension, which is from 98 to 2000, uh, late 98 to early 2000. So it took a little bit more than a year to write. And part of that might be because it's got four authors. It was written by Andrew Modine, DC, which I assume must be the entire city of Washington, DC, Sharon Lee and Jeff Oten, uh, who are listed up at, on the title page. We're reading the copy hosted on thegreenlanterncore.com, and I'll provide a link to that in the show notes. You can find it elsewhere on the internet, like I think it's on fanfiction.net and stuff, but you lose the pictures and, uh, and like the, the bespoke website. And, you know, that's such an important experience from this kind of old fanfic, I feel like. Although I should say, usefully, you do also lose the attempt of the website to download audio files every time that you try to access it with a modern browser. Yes, that oh, was kind yes. of annoying. But, you know, midis, there was a soundtrack to this fanfic. You need to, need to appreciate that, at least the effort. Um, it wasn't so much a soundtrack as it wasn't it just the theme song every time. That was my experience. That's a soundtrack. Teenage okay. Ninja Turtles, every chapter. Yeah. <laughs> Ninja Turtles, wait. <laughs> What's um, also interesting about this fanfic is each chapter is written by a different person. Well, not each, but, you know, they, the authors alternate chapter by chapter. There are a prologue, six chapters, and epilogue with, what did we say, there were four authors? Yes, yeah. four different authors. So. And they kind of rotate through which chapters they wrote of it. Well, not only an epilogue, but also a coda after the epilogue. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I notice um, it received an award given out in 2002, so, you know, significantly after it came out, uh, the Ninja Turtles Fanfic Awards for Best Round Robin. And I couldn't find a whole lot of information about how it was written, but if we are to understand that it was a round robin, then... I guess an author wrote one chapter and handed it off to the next author, who then wrote the next chapter. I, when I was reading it, I kind of assumed that maybe everybody was assigned a chapter and were writing them concurrently, but they may not have. That may not have been the case. I, I would assume it was the former, right? Like because you kind of have to base your writing off the previous writer. I don't think there was an outline done ahead of time. Also, I kind of assumed there was like two years. I mean, maybe there was. I mean. Especially considering how much these authors were concerned with continuity, maybe there was. But usually, I, I'm familiar with this writing exercise. Like, I, I remember actually like writing. Some of my friends who wrote fan fiction would hand things off to me, like you write the next chapter. So I feel like that's a more common exercise. Not that I would be the one to necessarily know. Well, I I hope for us to read in the future some improv fanfic, which is really round robin, where it's like. 
you write the chapter, you hand it off, the next person writes the chapter. But there's got to have been an outline in place for this because it's too structured. And the middle part of it, I was just assuming could have been written concurrently because it's kind of episodic in a way that if you were just like, oh, here's basically what needs to happen in this chapter, like someone could have sat down and written that while other people were writing other chapters. But anyway, that's all speculation. Um, the pitch for the fanfic is that it's a Ninja Turtles crossover with Ninja Turtles. And I just want to say that's a super Ninja Turtles thing to do. Both because... In fact, it's... Uh, well, for one thing, just because Ninja Turtles is so built for crossovers in the first place. Like, I don't know how many issues it took for the original comic to cross over with Cerebus, but it wasn't many. It was like, it's, how many? Uh, issue eight. It's issue eight. Issue eight. <laughs> Single digits. Yeah. And I was talking about Isagi Ojimbo. Like, it's kind of built into the DNA. And um, you were also saying, Chris, that like Ninja Turtles has done exactly this after this fanfic was written, right? Yes, that's what I was going to say. Um, there was a 2009 movie that was supposed to cap off the 2003 series, which was called Turtles Forever, which was a crossover between the 1987 Turtles, the 2003 series, and the original com Mirage Comics characters, I believe. <laughs> I just, that's interesting because wasn't 2009 the year that Turtles got sold to Viacom? I think that was the year. So I wonder if that was like pre or post or if it was, there were a lot of things that happened because Turtles was sold to Viacom that like projects in the works that ended up never happening. Because hmm. it was Laird who had creative control of it, right? And then sold it in 2009. So just, just side note. I mean, I imagine, I mean, was in production clearly before the the actual sale but right. who knows about business and the business side of that and yeah. how long things were planned i just for. know there's a lot of things that were supposed to happen that just didn't because of the, the biocom thing but... well i guess we may as well jump into the fanfic because it's going to naturally lead us into digressing on various turtle ownership issues and continuities and that sort of thing just by the nature of the beast. Uh, we've got a prologue to start us off by DC, uh, written, like I said, end of 98. And it's really short. It's just, we kind of touch in with a villain from the Mirage comics who I, I never read that far in the comics. Wait, unless, was he the villain in that first time travel story early on? Yes, he was. This yeah. was Savanti Romero, who is, yes, um, tied into the whole time travel turtles subplot with null time and the 79th dimension of null time which will keep coming up here okay yeah never mind now i remember him he i i do remember him he's the time travel villain and at <laughs> yeah good enough at this time he's stranded in prehistoric era and he can't time travel by himself no more and he's fuming over his defeats and uh basically a hooded figure comes in and murders him and absorbs his temporal power yeah that is a pretty succinct summary. Um, it should be noted that this hooded figure, for some reason, has with him the Ten Commandments, the Holy Grail, and the Lance of Longinus. You say for some reason, Chris, and that's well put because I never understood in this story why the this time traveler person needed those things. 
I didn't either. That was uh, yeah. a little bit lost. Uh, presumably, there's some mention of them being artifacts that have power to them. Um, but why the intense focus on Christian Apocrypha, I'm not entirely certain. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, is like, they do talk about is like, oh, important artifacts from throughout history. It's like, great, but they're all Christian relics. <laughs> like, right. Even though, at least, oh, yes, oh okay, so, so, sorry, like... Judeo Christian, because the Ten Commandments is Jewish, but like, right, I mean, right, of course, sorry. They're, you'd think he would have had like the Imperial Treasures of Japan too, or something. Like, whatever. Really good point, but also, I don't remember if these artifacts even ever come up much again later right like if there's a lot the, that happens this, in this, new villain, this new villain does seem to like using the lands of launches or the spear of destiny i guess is what they they're calling it in this um as a as an actual weapon but uh, i don't know that that puts you in entirely good company since the only other person that did that was yeah but sort of infamously not great roman soldier is there a reason that the character does that that we know of because it's cool <laughs> uh, well fair enough i think that's basically it and yeah. so this new well, figure gets to talk um... at romero some but the idea is that it it can time travel already and has been like doing some groundwork but needs like some extra boost of power in order to fulfill its like real plans and romero has a moment seeing that like the figure beneath the hood has a horn just like he does and remember has a moment thinking oh my god it's that it's me right like, but um we'll come back to that yeah. well evidently the thought being it's me from the future come back to kill me in the past which <laughs> uh would be one of a number of uh misunderstandings about how time travel supposedly works in the turtles universe i'm really not entirely certain since uh it's established that this um there's a lot of references to the canon of how uh of how certainly some forms of physics work in the turtles universe that might go beyond my understanding <laughs> well that's one of the cool things about this fanfic it is so so geeky because it's a crossover between you know, various incarnations of the turtles, which we'll get to in a moment. But the time travel rules that they're using are drawn from the Palladium Ninja Turtles RPG, like from the time travel source book. They mentioned that at some points, like for a more explanation about how time travel works, see this role-playing book. It's like a it's like a fifth extra turtles element that they fold into the super crossover. Yeah, and I've read the the like main guide for the Turtles role-playing game, but that's like Apocrypha on top of like that, that's a, a weird side source book for what is already an obscure RPG that I was impressed with myself for even having read in the first place. <laughs> but no, I didn't go that deep. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing I really like about this author is they they have they cite their sources, right? And they seem to have a lot of like turtles knowledge and like passion for the sources they have, right? Like they're like yeah, check this out. It explains this. And and these are, and even in the first one, specifically they cite the Mirage Comics volume 46 and 47, which is the whole like Romero, Samantha Romero arc in the first place and where Renette shows up. I don't think for the first, I don't remember for sure, but 
Yeah, this is um, sort of like an ongoing storyline that crosses back and forth. This is actually stuff that I like specifically went back and read for this uh, comic because I don't don't know that I ever got to 46 and 47, but that's, I think, the last time Savanti Romero shows up in the Mirage comics canon, at very least. That's when he's sent back to live with the dinosaurs, yeah. The second time, I think, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of Brunette showing up and such, we get into chapter one, Dissolution. We've shifted authors. I've got to say, I did not notice stark, violent differences between the writing styles of the authors in this. Like, it seemed to flow together as well as one could expect. But the author of chapter one was Andrew Modine. And this is set in Mirage Comics continuity. It's The Turtles. It's like, I'm not up on my Mirage Comics continuity, but it's in whatever period of time when the turtles were on average somewhat maimed. And so Donatello is like heavily cyborg and uh, Leonardo's lost a hand. Is that right? Yeah, so this goes into, this is actually the the next, I think the next publishing set, the Image Comics, which are like supposedly happen after the Mirage Comics, having looked into it a very small amount. Um... It sort of eventually gets declared non-canon because it was stuff that one of the turtles creator didn't really like didn't really entirely approve of because it wasn't written by the same as the original creators wasn't written by eastman and laird it was eastman who uh did the the image comics approved of the image comics stuff um which is weird because i think it's laird who ended up having full creative control of the turtles later on i think it I always get them mixed up, but like one of them just like pieced out was like I can't deal anymore, and they had a big falling out. Maybe a, a deeper turtles fan than myself will know this information. Well, there's all kinds of little rabbit holes we could go down of you know, turtles knowledge that I basically don't have, but the idea is that like things have been kind of shitty for them, but they're back living together, which they weren't for a while, but now they're kind of like. They're not super close. They're kind of drifting apart. They're also sort of bored. This is, at first I thought it was just going to be like a a little plot thing because Leonardo's saying like, oh, you know, even though no enemies have been like beating down our door, like, you know, we still have reason to stay together and he's worried about them like kind of breaking apart as a family again. And I thought that like the intrusion of a plot would fix that. But actually it's kind of a bigger a theme in the story that these four turtles are kind of distant than I was expecting. Not a very bigger theme, but bigger than I thought it would be. Also, uh, Raph and Michelangelo are playing Street Fighter 2, and Donatello wants to play Final Fantasy 2 on the same Super Nintendo, so we are heavily dating when this is taking place. I mean, not just by that, by the fact that... And by Final Fantasy 2, I mean Final Fantasy 4. Right. That's a very good point. Because, uh... And people used to localize things. They were really bad about uh, keeping the titles in any way correct. <laughs> well, they got Final Fantasy, right? Well, yes, except for in the case of, let's say, for example, uh, Final Fantasy Legends, which is not, yep. which is Saga. Is that right? Yep. And Final <laughs> Fantasy Adventure is Secret of Mana. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, they got Final Fantasy right. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, you get 
little turtles flavor to start out with, you know, it's, it's a cute scene, I think. Yeah. And it sets up that main thing with like Leo kind of being worried about their cohesion as a family. And then Renette shows up like she does. And he's just like, Hey guys, I need your help with a desperate situation. Does she ever come to hang out? Does she just like spend time anytime? Notably no. Um, from my just going back and reading the Renette storylines, it seems that like she's constantly trying to, I mean, depending on where you are in her timeline, throughout most of it, she's constantly trying to fix problems with time traveling and history. So she's like, shows up, does something, leaves again. <laughs> Actually, I don't recall exactly, but I feel like the author makes of that chapter makes direct reference to that. Like one of the turtles reflects like, uh, Renette's here, you know, like things are about to get wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Renette, for people who are not familiar with an incarnation of the turtles that has her, um, she's introduced as like a Time Lord apprentice. And at this point in this fanfic, she is just the Time Lord. Like she's the person in charge of time at the very least in their kind of environs of time and and space. And so, and for some reason, there's a lot of issues with time that can be solved by having four turtly ninjas around, which surprises me. But I guess sometimes you just need a little muscle. I think in this case, it's a little bit less well-justified. Like, usually it's something to personally do with the turtles. Like, they're involved somehow to begin with. I mean, they, she, she sort of happens upon them in the first Cerebus crossover story arc. Um because she's still an apprentice at that point and not really good at time traveling. Um, but then after that, it's either Savanti Romero wanting a revenge against the turtles or uh, something to do with the histories of people that they know being altered and that being a problem, stuff like that. <laughs> In this case, however, it's this sort of unknown enemy and we just need turtles. Yeah, she knows about the Savanti situation in the past. That, like, someone went and murdered him and took his temporal power and used it to break into the 79th level of Null Time. I like this part, because this is when they start explaining how, like, time and dimensional travel worked. I thought that was really cool. It's really, it's actually kind of interesting, yeah, because, you know, they look at each other like, yeah, sure, we'll go with you to save all time, whatever. Like, yeah, we're in. And she disappears with them. I'd like to say at the end of that scene, um, Casey Jones, April O'Neil, and Shadow Jones show up. Um, you know, like having done the shopping and they're like, huh, I guess they're all out. And this is the second fanfic we have read where Shadow Jones technically appears and has no lines. So someday, Shadow Jones, someday you'll get a line in a fanfic. Anyway, Tori, you seem interested. So want to tell us a little bit about the 79th level of Null Time from your understanding? Well, it's been a little bit since I read this, read this last week, but... I remember the explanation of time and dimensional travel being that like all of the dimensions are coiled up like a garden hose, right? You can hop through the dimensions by going up and down the garden hose, kind of like a, you know, a ladder. But if you end, if you go sideways, right, into like the center, then you enter null, or like a null dimension. Um, I guess those are kind of like void spaces in between time and dimension, but there are different levels, like depending on where you are in the garden hose when you leap in, you know, uh, horizontally into its center. I think that's right. That sounds about right. And the interesting thing is that 
it's not like an undifferentiated space mask or like a starry void. It's like a copy of the Earth, or in this case, at least where they are, is Rome in 137 BC, but it's frozen in time for everybody who would have been there in 137 BC. But then there's other people who live there in this frozen copy of a piece of time. And they move around normally and walk around and, you know, they're like the space wizards who monitor uh, time from there. I had to read this description a couple times because they were talking about like people being frozen like statues, but then also how this dimensional space existed. And I really enjoyed the description. It just, it took a while to like sink in. I think Amato, you described it perfectly, but it's just like, I was like, whoa, that is really bizarre. And I liked it. Yeah, what I felt was really cool. What I like about this concept of null time is that not only are the people are there people living in this sort of frozen time, but they've also, rather than just living in the buildings of the time, built their own structures on top of that. So for example, there's a, like a Colosseum building in which they've built their giant tower surrounded by crystals in the middle of the Colosseum which I thought was a, a pretty cool concept because you get like the contrast of architecture between them. It was a really good description, yeah. Readers, let us know if you had to live in a moment of the world frozen in time just for the aesthetic background of you going about your business, where would it be? I don't know about Rome. Maybe. They probably didn't choose it, though. It's probably just like what popped out of this null time or whatever. It's actually kind of interesting because you think about it, you, you could live in any time period with any architecture, but with none of the like social problems that plagued that time, right? <laughs> like social or uh, environmental disease, yeah. uh, suffering any of the real problems with going back in time in general. Yeah, entirely just like, what aesthetic do you like? <laughs> anyway, they Although find the figure. Although I should point out, I think that the reason, like, it's sort of incidental that it's in 137 room, because the reason that the 79th level of null time is really interesting is supposed to be because it looks out on all of the different time periods, all of the different twists in the time-space continuum. So one presumes they didn't pick this entirely for its aesthetic, unfortunately. <laughs> no, they didn't. Sorry, actually. go on. <laughs> No, uh, I was just going to say, they they go to, you know, the tower of the council that lives here and, you know, works here or whatever, and confront this person who introduces themselves as the Shogun. They're hunched over, they're, they've got a cloak, you know, now they've got cool time stuff, and they totally just murdered the entire council at the 79th level, which is pretty harsh for Renette. The, the family doesn't dwell on it too much, but it's like, these are her family practically like she was raised here in this level of null time by presumably most of these people and like they all just are like lying on the floor dead from having their throats cut like it's real harsh yeah it's almost like Renette shows up like you know like we gotta solve this problem and she's like notoriously just very cheerful right and this is that point this is that point where she kind of like breaks form from her like kind of manic cheerfulness is just pretty much devastated. I think it makes it more shocking that like this character who's notoriously just, you know, so happy-go-lucky is just hit with this massive shock. 
Yeah. And they get to the, the usual conversation with the villain where they're like, why are you doing these horrible things? And the figure who is a little bit, um, seems, seems very resolute and self-righteous, just like, I'm going to fix all that has gone wrong. And, you know, uh, I, reality is just malleable, at least from the position that this, this person's in, uh, to reshape as they want. I, I guess he, I guess they, we have a gender for the Shogun here. And then, you know, Raphael's like, oh, well, we're going to stop you by kicking your ass. And then the Shogun decides to scatter them throughout dimensions or like banish them from Null Time. Um, it has already been talking about doing stuff with dimensions to find the one, like flip through dimensions to find the one that's like most suitable to be reshaped into the perfect world that it's desiring to create. Uh, but, you know, they don't even get a chance to fight it. Why would they? It makes me think of like, have either of you read Secret Wars 2, the horrible Marvel comic super crossover? No. Okay. It it just makes me think of that. It's it's really bad plotting. Like, Secret Wars 2 features the Beyonder, who is omnipotent. And, you know, just, just flat out omnipotent, like whatever, banishes death, you know, all that sort of thing. If he wants, if he feels like it at the time. And you've got so many scenes of just like people throwing themselves at him as if to like physically kick his ass. And it's just like, no one seems to get the idea that that's not a plausible solution to this. <laughs> yeah, there's this whole idea of like uh, differences in scale, which comes up in, or differences in kind rather than differences in scale, which comes up in fiction on quite a few occasions. It's like, um, I think famously, there's like a scene in Lovecraft where someone tries to ram a ship into like, some horror terror, some Cthulhu-esque monster, or maybe Cthulhu uh, itself. Um, and there's just, like, the idea that, no, of course this would never work. The thing cannot be killed by modern firearms, no matter how many of them you use. Well, actually, if you're thinking about ramming the ship into Cthulhu, that does work, basically. <laughs> does it? Really? I mean, it, it's... That's a simplification, but yeah, actually, the story called Cthulhu does get kind of mocked sometimes for ending, like, The Little Mermaid. Um, right. Oh my goodness, I did not know that. I was thinking of it as because I, I had heard it referenced elsewhere. I never actually read the story itself. Uh -huh. That's kind of hilarious, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a. I mean, in the story, it kind of works. It's sort of you know, the ending there. The story is more like, oh, it turns out like you know, the, the stars are not quite right after all, or whatever. Like it's still coming. You know, it's not going to be stoppable. But it, in another sense, it's kind of like you ran Cthulhu through with a ship, and now we're good for a while. <laughs> you know, sometimes it works, right? Yeah, well, it doesn't work this time. The Shogun just kind of banishes <laughs> them all, and no one even gets within, like, ninjaing distance of him. At this point, we kind of assume, right, that the Shogun is Savanti Romero from the future, because that was the assumption laid out by Savanti Romero from the past. Well, it's not just that. Just that, like, Savanti Romero from the past, like, saying, like, doesn't he say I'm going to kill you? So the Shogun says, I'm going to kill you and take your power. And it's sort of implied that he's taking the power of his former self. Something to that effect. Yeah, well, the reason, I mean, Savanti, as he's dying, is like, oh, you must be me from the future. Because he notices something that the turtles also notice in this scene. Which is that he's wearing this uh, grinning no, which is described as a grinning no mask. Um, which is something that Savanti wore in the timeline that gets referenced, or the... Um, 
comic book that gets referenced that was the last point that we see Savanti Romero in the Turtles timeline, which is when he's in feudal Japan and gets banished back to prehistoric times. Someone else was the Shogun then, right? Anyway. No, he was... Um, he was Savanti Romero wasn't okay. pretending to be like a Shogun specifically, but he was pretending to be a feudal lord well, of Japan. There was a Shogun in those... Anyway. Well, because of those clues and because of the fact that it's always friggin' Savanti Romero in a time travel story, we are definitely supposed to be operating on the assumption like this, this Shogun's probably Savanti Romero, right? But, you know, we have no confirmation of that yet in the fanfic. It, yeah, I think that it, there's supposed to be a sort of implicit assumption, certainly uh, an assumption on the part of the characters that that's what's going on. But if you're like, paying careful attention it seems like that might not be the case like this character clearly has some grandmaster plan that's or like reason for doing what they're doing that's beyond savanti romero's like standard i want to take over the world because it's my right sort of thing also i mean he did murder himself in the past if it is savanti romero which doesn't quite track with that character as a character beat or what would be physically possible maybe who knows see that palladium book i guess <laughs> yeah please refer to transdimensional tnm t uh nmt is that right which TNMT, is the name of the book yes. <laughs> the palladium series palladium anyway speaking of transdimensional this sort of leads us into a series of chapters that are fairly episodic set in different turtles continuities and we start off uh, with the next mutation. Chapter two has like Michelangelo being like uh, falling into the like abandoned, what is it, bus depot that they use as a base? Something like that. In this supposed to be a subway station? Yeah. Subway station? Yeah, subway station, that's right. Which is next mutation or like original movie trilogy slash next mutation continuity. The next mutation is, of course, that live action TV show that was made during the height of the Power Rangers boom, and I've, the only thing I've seen of it is the crossover with Power Rangers in space, which was terrible. The crossover, not Power yeah. Rangers in space. I was actually sort of surprised in this. I looked this up and I was like, where is this female turtle from Venus de Milo? And I was like, there was a 97 live action turtle series? Because that's ex I was eight years old in 97. How was I not watching that? And I'd never seen it. Yeah, I mean, likewise, if you had heard of it, I would have probably also right. heard of it. Yeah. Um, you know, being siblings. Uh, somehow I managed to miss this as well throughout all of my knowledge of Turtles canon. Yeah, I'm with you. It pretty much, I don't remember it being on my radar as a kid either, and you'd think it would have been. You'd think it would have been a bigger deal. Um, yeah. But this does kind of lead into well, i mean there's not a whole lot of plot in this chapter is the thing it's like michelangelo gets to have the the conversation with the other four turtles initially because venus is out uh like on some errand to begin with about like oh you're alternate me's that's what's going on and michelangelo has like he notices that these four are kind of like more cohesive as a team than like he and his brothers are 
And Venus shows up and he gets to be like, whoa, that's weird. And also, uh, hey, a female turtle, which is, that's great for Venus that she gets to be proved on a few times just by basis, on the basis of like being a turtle with breasts or whatever in this fanfic. Yeah, I'm not uh, really happy with how any of the other characters treat Venus in this uh storyline but it might be accurate to at least some at least the canon that she's from who knows <laughs> it might be the the one uh it's so interesting because what they get to focus on right is that oh there is a female of the species that means we might be able to reproduce which means our species won't die out and that is totally valid i get it it's just i wish th- that venus had some input in this like yeah. Anyway. I mean, actually, I get to the point that it's actually only kind of valid. I think you need really more than one reproducing pair to ensure that your species survives. That's but well, yeah. look, here's the thing. Okay, so yeah, the creeping on Venus is not great. Luckily, no one like talks to her about that directly in that sense. But if you're so concerned about the survival of your mutant turtle species, uh, the solution is get some turtles, get some mutagen. Don't tell me you can't find some mutagen. (laughs) I know you can find some mutagen if you put your mind to it. Dunk the turtles in the mutagen and like have them be in contact with human DNA and voila or whatever. You got maybe that even that's not necessary. I forget how mutagen works. But like you can make some more mutant turtles. It's not that hard. Yeah, and uh, as we see, we run into, in the other timelines, at least one other mutant turtle that had basically nothing to do with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. True, though I think that's a little complicated. But also, we have mutant turtles dating like mutant foxes and stuff, right? Yep, that's definitely so a... that too. Could they? They might even be able to reproduce. Anyway, I don't even know. That's uh, that's all nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that pairing was particularly chosen based on the potential for being able to reproduce. Well, but, no, you know. <laughs> but my point is that they're all mutants anyway. Like. You know, we don't have to restrict ourselves to like, I don't know, maybe it's weird if you, it's not weird if you date a a mutant fox as a mutant turtle. So if you could reproduce, it wouldn't be weird to try, is my, kind of my point. Anyway, moving on. Oh, so I forgot, it's not just Mikey in the next mutation here, it's it's Mikey and Raphael. And, you know, you get what you would expect, which is the two Raphaels practically doing a superhero crossover we need to kill each other before we team up before like you know everybody else holds them back uh my favorite thing about this is that Raphael feels real smug and superior to these jokers of course i'm talking about mirage comics uh Raphael, and you know like oh like you know you all are lame and you don't kill people and that sort of thing but he gets so super jealous when he sees that next mutation Raphael has a motorcycle yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, why don't I have um, a motorcycle? <laughs> Which, I mean, all of that just so checks out for the character. Like, the, the trying to kill the alternate universe version of yourself, very Raphael. Jealous <laughs> about motorcycles, very Raphael. <laughs> sort of the delight of this piece is when you get those crossovers, you get the characters' reactions to each other, which is sort of like you as the reader's reaction to the various incarnations, right? and thinking about how they'd react to each other. How are these characters different? And there's even this point where they start, once they start getting along, they start comparing events of their timelines, similarities and differences. And that's kind of fun if you're into, you know, continuity and that nerdery. 
but there's one point where like um i can't remember what it was but they're talking about um how shredder became a super shredder in this new timeline and then they had to do this fight and vanilla ice was playing and uh, i i can't remember that's ninja turtles it, too but... yep <laughs> yeah right and um i think it's mikey's just like wait what happened and then the tur- you know the turtles from the the movies from the live action turtles are like oh yeah he, shredder became a super shredder and he's like no wait vanilla ice <laughs> and they're just like eh, yeah yeah <laughs> i thought that was like just like little moments of humor that were pretty funny yeah like things the audience would comment on too right <laughs> yeah also like what keeps coming up is that the shredder has been killed like at least twice in every timeline <laughs> Right. <laughs> well not every timeline but we'll get to that fair enough <laughs> um but yeah the plot such as it is is that like uh the dragon lord is like coming in on their location i think maybe donatello senses it somehow and the dragon lord is like a, a big bad or medium big bad or whatever from the live action series so the plot kind of kicks forward such as it does with like the dragon lord approaching them i guess to come fight them I think like Donatello senses him coming somehow or uh, something with technology. I don't remember. The main, the point is that like he's kind of like a, the big bad of the live action series. But um, oh oh no, I'm sorry. I guess I guess that's when. Okay, yeah, Donatello. Anyway, whatever. Uh, Michelangelo and Raphael from the comics finally agree to go fight, and then they go have a big fight. And uh, Particle Man wins. Particle Man. It's it's not that interesting, except that the author does try to get some character beats in there. Um, and part of it is that thing about kind of like teamwork. Lot even live action movie Raphael is like, look, this guy's not that tough. If we just like used our weapons instead of I guess punching like we usually do in this live action TV series for babies, then we would be able to like beat him no problem. And live action Leo gets a little explanation there, even. The quote here is Leo sighed. Look, Raph, I just want us to learn how to fight as a full fledged team. If we work together, if we can get our minds on the same track, we can defeat anything. We're ninja. We use our bodies and minds. Weapons are meaningless without that. Michelangelo, this, this being comics, Michelangelo, thought about that for a moment. Wasn't that what their Leo had been trying to get them to understand for a long time? Suddenly it all made sense. The turtles were skilled, yes, and their weapons helped them defeat their enemies. But they had something much stronger than that. They were bonded both mentally and emotionally, a tie which nothing but death itself could ever sever. But ninjas, ninjas were assassins. And so they, they win through a combination of, like, teamwork, uh, and there being a lot of them to fight against the Dragon Lord and his goons, and then I think comics Raphael kind of like going in for the kill or like almost kill by literally stabbing this dude with like pointy objects like you probably couldn't get away with doing on kids TV back in the day. I I, I think this is the moment where um, they sort of have that conversation where they're like the turtles from the movies are like, we don't agree with killing, but we sort of respect your methods in a way. Uh, yeah that's like a a moment that's less of a conflict here than it's going to be in a future chapter with other turtles but yeah there is definitely kind of that uh, that little 
difference in approach for sure. Um, I guess the other thing I wanted to say is that like at the end of the fight, which is fine, Venus gets to banish the Dragon Lord because she is a ninja sorceress uh, or whatever, like she uses ninja magic, which is nice to differentiate her from four other turtle ninjas who are also present. And it also kind of seems to fulfill her main plot character arc because apparently this guy murdered her master, Chung Yi. And so she was like trying to banish him back to the realm of dreams where apparently he was, you know, uh, imprisoned for a long, long time. And she gets to do that. And the cool thing about that is that at the end of this chapter, like, you know, Donatello's like, oh yeah, I should be able to send you back to the time that you came from but with computer science wizardry and that sort of thing. And they get to say hi to like live action Splinter and not ask him why he has a cut in his ear and that kind of thing. But Venus is like, you know what? I want to come with you. Like, I want to expand my horizon, see like other worlds. I have no, she, she's not a sibling of these four live action movie people. She's not as attached to this world and she just fulfilled her plot arc, right? So I kind of like right. that they, I kind of like that like it sort of frees her up to go join them, uh, comics Michelangelo and comics Raphael when they leave. What they don't cover, however, is how this doesn't also free up all of the turtles from this causality from also going with in order to stop what is evidently a multi-dimensional threat. You're totally right. I kind of would have expected this to like end with like huge turtle mobs, just like, you know, huge turtle reinforcements all over the place, but it's very limited. I guess in this case, they, yeah, no, you'd think they would be more worried about the threat to all multiverses than they are. They're just really not worried. Yeah, and that's, again, a sort of consistent theming. Uh, I know it might make writing a little bit harder, because you have to differentiate all of the different sets of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and referring to them by universe number is a little bit uh, draining. but. <laughs> Still, it doesn't do a good job of justifying why they stay behind. Well, speaking of having trouble differentiating turtles, Chapter 3 is titled Heroes in a Half Shell, and it's the one set in the original cartoon universe, with, you know, Krang and Technodrome and Bebop and Rocksteady and all that. And just at a high level, it's very much the same plot as the previous chapter. It's like, the person who ends up here is uh, Leonardo, right? And, you know, he meets up with other turtles, and the big bad of that cartoon is coming to attack, which in this case is, you know, Krang and company. And there's a philosophical divide over Leonardo being like, why have you not killed these enemies that you fought a million times? And then being like, because that would be wrong. And Leonardo being like, what are you talking about? But, but that's kind of like more foregrounded. Well, and then also being like, they're destroying an entire city currently. You're not willing to kill yes. them at this yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> and and Leonardo seeing like, oh, you know what? These four may be like weird wimps who do not use their weapons as much as they should and don't kill the Shredder. But they're a lot close, more closely bonded than me and my brothers. And like, that's all kind of similar points to the previous chapter, just remixed and kind of emphasized differently. It's very similar. No lie, I pretty much forgot about this chapter. It's just like, oh right, yeah, I guess that happened. 
because like it is it's basically the events of the show right like it doesn't change much it's just leonardo's there well right uh i don't quite know about that the the ending and what happens to all of the villains at the end of this is a bit um different from original cartoon canon well i mean early uh, on he gets accosted by bebop and Le- and rocksteady and he cuts off rocksteady's hand just like yes. it wasn't oh, no yeah. thing yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's definitely you know that there's the differences that leonardo creates in the world but i feel like that that is the same kind of beat as before just maybe driven home a little bit more is that like these turtles are more violent actually <laughs> what i found more. interesting wasn't particularly leonardo's violence it was the way that he talked to the shredder when the shredder shows up in this series because this shredder has now been under krang's employ for a long time and becomes very subservient okay i do remember this now right he gets to talk shredder into like rebelling against krang because he's like shredder when did you just like turn into krang's lackey that's the interesting part about this chapter. And, you know, you see that. It's like the Shredder used to be intimidating, but by by the time you're, like, far into the cartoon series, it's like, oh, it's Bebop and Rocksteady and Shredder. Like, he's he's kind of at that level of, like, bumbling henchman, frankly. Sure, yeah. yeah. And actually, it almost feels really satisfying that Shredder does get to, like, rebel against Craig and, like, kill him, I think, in this yeah, chapter. Just, yeah. yeah. Full on like, murder. You almost feel like very satisfied that Shredder's like becoming like a, a threat again. It, like you get some from some stuff from inside Shredder's head, where even before Leo shows up, he's reflecting on like I was biding my time, but now I'm not so sure. So it's like actually like I feel like Shredder's emotional arc is the best in this chapter. Yeah, it's actually like a pretty good sentence. Um, let's see paragraph. Um, the Shredder sighed once he had thought of nothing, nothing else but eventually usurping and overthrowing Krang, taking his place. Somehow, over the years, these thoughts had become ideas, and those ideas had become lost. Had he become subservient now, lost so much of who he used to be? Yes, Krang. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. That's a good part. Um, I'd also like to say, just in terms of continuity nerdity, I I think. I do like that it's not just, like, Chris, I saw Turtles Forever also, and they make a lot of fun of the original cartoon Turtles, but, yeah, okay. like, they're basically, like, comic relief. It's like, they're, they're a joke, right? Yeah, they don't use their weapons, all, all that kind of thing. But they actually try to give, like, a justification here, actually, when Leonardo's talking with Splinter and the Turtles, and they're like, the ninja code says you don't kill, and Leonardo's like, the ninja code of your world is bullshit. He actually says it in more of a Leonardo way, but, you know. Splinter cuts in and he's like, uh, yeah, actually, my son's this Leonardo from another world is right. I've been lying to you about what the what the ninja code is. Yeah, and... that was, like, really satisfying, too. <laughs> but the justification given is that, like, this Splinter in the cartoon is Hamato Yoshi. Whereas Splinter in the comics yeah. was the rat of Hamato Yoshi who was trying to avenge Hamato Yoshi. And there was no, there was no needing to avenge a death here in the same way that happened. It's an interesting explanation. I actually forgot that. Like, I forgot that Splinter had ever been Hamato Yoshi. Like, it's, it's one of those things that's weird, about 50-50 right? between different Turtles <laughs> canons. I, it's, uh, 
a very weird difference, to be entirely honest, for how this... similar the series end up. Yeah, like, I know I watched this cartoon, but, like, somehow I forgot that detail was ever having existed. I was always like, he was his rat, right? Like, why would, why would he not be his rat? Like, the turtles were turtles, the rat was a rat. Anyway, moving on. Uh, well, I think it it's a lot easier to buy a martial arts master has turned into a rat and is teaching martial arts than this non-mutated rat watched people doing martial arts and learned it and then mutated. It's actually really weird that that's the original that, okay. conception. So that's actually fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I suppose... Practicing his little rat katas. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. That was... That was in one was. of the the shows or one of the movies I don't even remember where yeah like they had they did show him like as a normal rat copying his master. yeah and in the original comic book like that's in the okay. com- oh maybe like, I was that was, just thinking that of the was comic. actually like there was a like a really brief mention in one that Hamada Yoshi was amused by how Splinter would always practice the same forms so practiced alongside him <laughs> how amusing. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. What a silly rat. What a well-trained rat. (laughs) Well, obviously, Eastman and Laird weren't weren't worried about, like, you buying this idea, because it was supposed to be kind of totally goofy initially. Like, you know, tongue was firmly in cheek with that whole origin story. But I understand why they changed it for the cartoon, yes. But I just thought that was interesting that, like, these turtles were not born of vengeance. They were just kids that Hamato Yoshi decided to raise as a mutant rat creature in the sewers. And so, of course, he wasn't like, yes, my teenage sons, go out and kill people. I mean, I'd sort of... I don't know whether I just made that sort of assumption in my head and somewhere in parsing all of the different canons, but this doesn't like really track with things that I had thought about these series. So I'm I'm glad to see it like written down in the in the canon of this fan fiction at least. So I guess when I'm complaining about this chapter being too similar to the last one, it's more like this chapter is like the last one except better, I would say. Because it has more interesting things to say about the first cartoon series than the last chapter had to say about next mutation. The last chapter didn't actually have anything interesting to say about next mutation at all in particular. Like um yeah, that might be on account of Michelangelo and Raphael being slightly less philosophically oriented than Leonardo tends to be. It might also have to do with no Turtles fans having anything interesting to say about Next Mutation, which I gather is not, like, the fan-favorite continuity of anybody. I mean, that might be true, for all I know. I have no idea, because I had never heard of this TV show <laughs> before we read this fanfiction. <laughs> Which might say something in and of itself, to be entirely honest. Yeah. So, I guess chapter four, right? Well, this is where uh, Donatello lands. And it is very specifically in the Archie comics in Jerusalem during the, um, is it Animus? Is that the name of the? The villain, yeah. The villain, yeah. Saga. Um, and I don't remember exactly how it's, Starts, but it is at the middle of that like whole conflict going on and the, i feel like this is where like some of the drama really picked up because like boy i mean maybe about you want to walk us through it a little more you might remember better well 
look, yeah, Donatello gets dropped into the Archie Comics continuity. There's shit going down in Jerusalem. That's happening. It doesn't really matter to the story. I think that the reason the author chose this one is because at this time in Archie Comics Ninja Turtles continuity, this is Ninja Turtles Adventures, right? At this time in the continuity, other time travel shenanigans are happening with the mighty Mutanimals. Is that their name? Right. Yeah. Um, all I remember about them is that one of the Ninja Turtles action figures my friend had as a kid was Ray. What, what's his name? Um, is, is it Manta Ray? Is that actually just his name? That can't be right. Yeah. No, well, there's also Jag War. War is in, like, fighting. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, um, there's a point where they list all of their names later on. I'm looking for it, but I forget uh, it. Man Ray. Man Ray, that's right. So, whenever I think about the Mighty Mutanimals, like the little that I've encountered them in Archie Comics, because I've only read a few ch- issues of that, I'm always just like, oh yeah, that's the team that Man Ray is on. That's it. Well, I mean, I haven't read the Archie comics. I, I've read the like original run of the comics, uh, and it seems wild just from this individual snapshot of it. Like, weird stuff is definitely happening pretty constantly. Not necessarily... Um, hmm. There seems to be some needless tragedy going on as well. Uh, I think we'll get into it. But, oh. uh yeah, I think we can just elide through the Ninja Turtles plot because Donatello in the middle of, like, a lot of shit going down in Jerusalem, I don't even know what's happening, really. And neither does Donatello because Donatello, like, meets up with his counterparts there and they exchange notes and, you know, they're like, oh, do you want to come with us to fight this, you know, evil, like, spirit that's trying to do such and such? And Donatello's like, no, I, I, I'd i rather not mess with your timeline any more than I need to. So I guess peace out. Nice meeting you. It's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's, it also has a sort of interesting take to it, if you're thinking about what just happened in the last two. Because, I mean, clearly with all of Donatello's uh, theories about time travel and how impacting these timelines might cause, like, terrible consequences, it hasn't in the other crossover chapters that we just read, so... Um, yeah, well, Maybe Donatello's wrong. Time travel isn't very good. Oh, he, he's wrong, but he has a logical basis for not wanting to, like, intervene, I guess. Yeah. And that's also fair. I mean, like, if his justification were just there's a multi-dimensional threat that is very time-sensitive going on right now that I have to get back to, that would be a good enough justification. Right. And so instead, Donatello goes, and he, you know, he's a cool cyborg, and he can track down, like, these other temporal, like, energies, which leads him to, is it right, time-traveling, but, like, like in the plot of the Archie comics, time-traveling Raphael and who? Other... It, is it himself? It's his, himself is it another Donatello? Yes. yes, another Donatello. Oh, jeez. And... <laughs> The entire team of Mighty Mutanimals has just been murdered because I yeah. guess they can do that in Archie Comics. Yeah, that oh, was a thing yeah. that happened, apparently. Again, yeah. I didn't read that. I just read the, like, summary because I, I wasn't sure about that. 
I thought when I read this that because of how quickly they were killing off Shredder and Krang and just villains from the the um, cartoon, that they might have done something similar here because it's implied that some amount of time travel shenanigans is what resulted in them dying. Well, they say that Wrath and Dawn from the future say they came back to prevent this whole animus thing from happening and the mute animals from dying, but I guess they didn't succeed. And so I'm sitting here being like, oh, it's the Archie Comics continuity, right? Ninjara, yeah, she's Raphael's girlfriend. I remember reading about that somewhere. It's like, oh, Man Ray. I remember Man Ray fondly from being an action figure. Oh, he's dead. Oh, Leatherhead. I remember yeah. Leatherhead from some continuities. Oh, he's dead too. Imagine reading the actual comics and having that happen. That must have been devastating. Horrible. It's like, let's murder off fondly remembered, like, half a dozen fondly remembered characters. And um, one of the mute animals, Mondo, has a girlfriend named Candy. Candy, right? Yes. Um, and she's just freaking grieving. She, yes, she's our grief perspective character for the most part. Like, she gets to explain what happened to, you know, both future Don and Raph who, like, just arrived to stop this and, like, Donatello from our original comics, Mirage Comics timeline. Um, like, and yeah, like, her grief is palpable. And I imagine, like y'all were saying, like, the grief of the reader would also be really strong for this. Like, just, wow, yeah, these beloved characters having died. I think you can really feel the author's passion for the material, especially in this chapter. And so, you, this time travel stuff that this other future Raph and Donatello are dealing with have nothing to do with the, like, interdimensional time travel that, like, Cyborg Donatello is dealing with. And so really there's not much to be done here, except that also grieving for the Mutanimals is Slash. And I remember Slash from Turtles in Time, because every time I saw him, I was like, oh, whoa, yeah. what's, that, what's that cool character design? It's like a super evil extra mutant Raphael, and then he killed me. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a lot. I remember dying a lot to <laughs> Slash. Uh, yeah, he's uh, apparently from Dimension X. Is that correct? Or yeah. a null? I forget. Um, he's, he's from, from the from Super Dimension Nintendo X. Turtles in Time. I know that. <laughs> I know. He's like, in that's, that, yes. I, that's the main reason I know him too, Abato. I, like, I, I completely <laughs> agree. And in my mind, he's just like, ah, yes, he's like Shadow the Hedgehog, like more <laughs> badass and actually deadly kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Fair. Yeah. Well, he's like, a, um, from what I understand of his canon in the, the comics, he's a completely different mutated turtle from a different world that um, yeah. the world that he was from was like a beautiful, lush paradise that a bunch of corrupted bureaucrats came in and tore down. And then he's just gone on a murder spree since then, killing corrupted bureaucrats, uh, from what I understand. Eventually became a villain. Yeah. Fought the turtles. In this, it says he used to be a villain, but he's like reformed now. But he's like sort of an anti hero. He's very quiet. Yeah. Except he so does, he's... he makes a, a joke about he hopes that where they go to the into the next dimension when he decides to go with Donatello and everybody is like, hope there's palm trees. Yeah, because his original <laughs> world, yeah. beautiful palm trees, was 
I think the reference you were supposed to get if you had read this, although I'm not sure how much expectation there is that you've read every single one of these or seen and every single one of these individual continuities. Well, the reason Slash is important, like you said, Tori, Slash goes with them. And this seems interesting in contrast because Renette shows up and she's like, oh, Don, there you are, Donnie, you got to come with me because the Shogun's doing something really bad at, you know, in Null's time and we got to go stop him. And, you know, if we're stepping back and not thinking like, uh, you tried stopping him before and it did absolutely nothing. So what makes you think that this second time is going to work? Ignoring that, it's interesting that in this chapter, Donatello's like, can't we take these people with us? Like, you know, to help save time, like this other future Donatello and Raphael and, you know, Slash and, and Candy here. And Renette initially is like, no, where we're going, they don't belong. As if, as if this Donatello belongs. And the other alternate future Raphael and Donatello even get, you know, even they say, um, you said it right yourself. Where you're going, we don't belong. If this dimension is going to die, then we're going with it. It's like, oh, you're okay with that future Raphael and Donatello? That's, that's cool with you? Yeah, this is the one that really, where this really started to bug me, how people weren't helping with this interdimensional threat because their dimensions are collapsing as it's happening. And it would be absurd. It would be so incredibly out of character for them not to want to at least escape their imminent death. If not, help save all of time and space. <laughs> Yeah, there's even a point in this point. I think what Renette shows up to like take them to the final conflict, and I think this is you know something that like they have to kind of work out. Where they're like, oh, um, Renette says something like, oh, this uh, I can't even remember who it is. Donatello, I think, can't leave this timeline because he has to be the one to like go back into the past and like. Actually, it's Slash. Oh, it's it's Slash. Okay. Who ends up actually going with them? So. Yeah, that. but like, well, he can't leave, right? Because he has to, in the future, do something important to save this world. And then, you know, Donatello has to point out, like, this world's dying anyway. And then everyone's just like, oh, all right, I guess we can go. Except not <laughs> everyone does go. And I just don't understand why they don't seem to care about themselves or the universe at all. <laughs> anyway, go on about it. The, the only one who gets a pass here is Candy, because she's actively suicidally depressed right now with grief. Right. And she's she's but literally like, else. yeah, like my lover is <laughs> dead. I'm just going to die her. with him. The other characters don't get a pass for that, though, because they should be dragging her out right. of that timeline. Right. <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah, OK, just kill yourself because you're grieving. That's fine. Right. Yeah. It, not that people should be cool with that. Just that, like, I understand he's coming from emotionally and not where anyone else is coming from. Right. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. Very good point. <laughs> but anyway at least slash gets to go with and here is where my nerd brain gets annoyed because if one character came from next mutation timeline and one character came from archie comics timeline one character should have come from the original cartoon timeline that my pattern recognition is thrown <laughs> off i don't like it i want Talk my patterns the chapters being written by different authors, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. As some authors cared more about certain characters. I don't know. Then the beauty of patterns in their narrative <laughs> structure. Yeah. Well, if I'm going to be real about it, I think this is the point where the story starts to break down for me. 
likewise. Um, I would say it would be interesting if they were taking all of these different characters from these different timelines, representations of their individual timeline, so that when they all came together, they could relate their perspectives from their different timelines and make a interesting, interconnected, cohesive idea about Turtles media in general. But I don't think the fiction has that much thought going into it in chapter six. Maybe at some point earlier it did. Yeah, or even if bringing along a character from each timeline, if they actually did that, which they did for every timeline, but if they did, would be a reason that those timelines could be restored eventually, because we don't really want to see all the timelines die. Yes, and yet that is exactly what we see. <laughs> yeah. We, we get a Crisis on Infinite Earths series of scenes with, like, each of these continuities literally getting destroyed. And I don't know if they... Yeah, they all happen basically at the same time, but, like, yeah, we check in with, you know, the cartoon continuity, and people are like, oh, the whole, the whole universe is going, but at least we're together. And, you know, it's, it's kind of rough going. Like, uh, you get to see the live-action Turtles' universe be destroyed and that sort of thing. Like, uh... The Splinter, even Splinter from like the original comics timeline, kind of gets to like feel the universe die or whatever. Uh, or I, I guess I guess we don't see that universe wiped out; just the ground begin to shake. And then we're back uh, in the in Null Time with the Shogun, who is working on cleansing the slate in preparation for recreating a amalgam of the best of the other dimensions that he is destroying. Like, he's destroying these four dimensions, A, B, C, and D, to make a new dimension, E, which will be better in as-yet-unclear ways. Oh, also, he name-drops destroying dimension X, which I appreciate. Although, which dimension X? It's, I mean, maybe they're supposed to be the same. In Isn't there only dimension X in the original cartoon? I think, uh, if I remember correctly, slashes from dimension X in oh, the no, you're right. Comics timeline. You're right, there's dimension X in the Archie Comics, too. Oh, well. All of the Dimension X. Maybe they're the same. Who knows? It's a big dimension, <laughs> one presumes. It always seemed that way. It seemed like just whatever they wanted was in Dimension X. I mean, whatever the writers wanted, not whatever the characters wanted. Fair enough. And so, yeah, everyone comes and, you know, they're ready to fight. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very angry with the Shogun. And, you know, you know once again, just... throw themselves at the cosmic horror that they can't harm with physical weapons. <laughs> Well, we've got two advantages here. One is that Renette seems more seems to have a little bit more magical or time power than last time. The other advantage is that um, Venus, out of all the turtles, does not operate off of stabbing people with physical weapons. She actually does have magic that does come in handy in this fight. I, I'm not clear entirely what she can do, but she can do a non-zero number of things that are useful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is a good point, but that really just makes this Renette's fight and not, or and to some limited extent, Venus's fight, and less so any of the other turtles, at least until Savanti, or till, sorry, the Shogun, who is not Savanti, as it turns out, oh. big twist, um, yeah. is, uh, is deprived of his magic power in some way, and then at that point vulnerable to stabbing. Yeah. Yeah. So, they, they have a fight, 
Um, and we do find out who the Shogun is, and it's pretty lame. Anyone want to take this? With with or without getting really angry about it? Uh, you can get really angry about it. <laughs> um, okay. So, this, uh, you know, to get through the reveal, it's a future version of uh, Mirage Image Comics' Leonardo is the Shogun. Uh, and the justification ends up being that he really wanted to make a timeline in which the turtles didn't eventually drift further and further apart because in his timeline splinter died uh and then they just all sort of stopped being a family eventually and he wanted to fix that which he decided the best way to fix that was to destroy the multiverse yeah Yeah. why does he think that's gonna fix it so we can make a better multiverse after it's done. I guess yeah. this is a bit too stupid of a move for any reasonable version of Leonardo to have ever made. <laughs> Pretty dumb. The way the Shogun has been talking about, like, you will never understand my suffering, or it's like, you know, we will, the wrongs that I have suffered. It's like, um, you ha- what, you had a fight with Mikey or something? Like, what? It's just totally out of proportion. It doesn't make any sense, especially since. If the main thing he wanted was the turtles to be a family, he just destroyed three other universes where that was the case, and that was kind of a plot point that, like, they were a firm family together. Yeah, the only thing I could take from it is that he was mad with grief because I think it's implied that, uh, well, Splinter died, and that Mikey committed suicide or something. Yeah, like, something like that. So he committed suicide, and that his other brothers also died, or something happened to them and they were all torn apart, like, that he lost everything. And so he was, like, insane from grief, but I still didn't really buy it. Like, I was, like, this doesn't seem, especially for Leonardo, I mean, for any of the turtles, but, like, Leonardo's always been pretty level-headed. I saw no connection, point A to point B, how he got to this spot, other than these terrible things happened, sure, but most people, that doesn't drive them to try to destroy the universe, so... Also, I'm not 100% sure if that was what happened. I, I know for sure, like, one of his brothers killed himself, and I think they all died. Yeah, that but sounds it was sort about of unclear. Right. Yeah, it was just, like, it's supposed to be the most devastating thing. But I still don't think, like, if you're supposed to like the character, know the character, that you would buy that that's enough to drive them to destroy everything. It just doesn't feel correct at all. But, you know... I'm sure we'll complain about that again at the end of the episode, but in terms of the fight, the other person who gets to do something cool is, of course, Slash, who gets to do it by being a better ninja than all of the trained ninjas, because uh, he's, like, actually hiding what? in, like, the shadows, well, waiting for the opportune moment to strike. Look, from your experience with the Turtles in Time game, that, I guess, tracks, right? <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's cool. Like, Slash gets to, like, jump out and like actually land a blow and you know a couple blows on the shogun like through the element of surprise and say like you know you bleed because slash is a cool 90s anti-hero like that and then the shogun gets to murder him with the spear of longinus so um sorry slash i hope you weren't doing anything too important in archie comics continuity i guess it doesn't matter anymore because archie comics continuity is gone now 
everything is gone. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense. And to me. this one is another thing that bothers me. We have actually destroyed these timelines. Um, they don't come back. We'll get to the second coda where they will come back, but not necessarily intact. <laughs> Some right. things will still remain broken, and uh, the author seems awfully cavalier about all of this. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, I didn't really get why Slash had to die, but uh, I don't know. I don't know either. It's, but moving on from there, we've got Leo getting killed, like the future Leo, but apparently that also causes past Leo to be dying too, which doesn't make sense to me. Not dying, right? No, he's dying. Like, past Leo is dying because future Leo is dying, right? That's sort of the way that Renette was describing it um, as it was happening. He eventually ends up disappearing, and no one's sure yeah. what has really happened to him. But he was dying at the time, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, like, again, I don't... I have not read that one Palladium book which uh, describes how time travel works in depth in the Turtles universe, but this does not track with any understanding of time travel that I have ever heard of, and I consider myself to have read a lot of time travel media. Yeah, it's not Back to the Future level of like, oh yeah, I kind of grok what's happening here, at all. Right, if this were the case, that we're in some sort of universe wherein we can, like, there's not multiple timelines split off every time someone does something different. Uh, I could buy, and so everything's sort of happening simultaneously, I could buy that if someone changes the past, then that past would be affecting their future in real time. So if younger Leo died, I could buy that older Leo was then dying. Yeah. Not in multiple worlds universe, but I mean, it would like solve the grandfather paradox for right. if there aren't multiple universes. But vice versa, it just literally it doesn't, doesn't make, make any sense. sense. Well, would imply, I would like to point out that when you die at the end of your life, if you're a time traveler, it erases you from the universe. Actually, Chris, I'm going to give the authors a pass on this. Not that it's explained well, but I'm I'm happy with this because the way I'm not happy with it, but like I'm fine with it because the way that Shogun Future Leonardo is beaten is by Renette turning the entire forces of entropy that he has been using to wipe out multiverses against himself. And who knows what that does? Like I assume that's the problem. It's just like entropy working against the figure of Leonardo. Okay, fair enough but it needed that explanation yeah, in order it for really it to did. be a thing that made sense uh when you're just like oh but the explanation that we're given is that we killed future leonardo and it's killing past it's killing younger leonardo and that one doesn't make any sense without the extra caveats that you mentioned right maybe i didn't read this correctly but i thought that Renette like took care of him with the entropy after he was already had been stabbed by a sword wound at which point they were talking about how younger leo's heartbeat was slowly growing fainter due to the sword wounded older leo am i incorrect about that i don't th i think the attack by slash gave her the opening in terms of distracting him but is not actually the vector of the okay you know the damage being done to him so younger uh, leo doesn't grow weaker until Attacks older. Right. 
I it's think. unclear and needed okay. an explanation. Okay. Well, but the, the, I will say that that makes a little bit more sense than what, how I was interpreting it. But okay, mm. gotcha. And so, anyway, yeah, Leonardo, future Leonardo gets like this, the longest deathbed speech you could imagine where he goes through all this stuff and he's like, oh, and I repent my evil deeds kind of at this very last moment and also stick together, like be, be brothers. Don't, you know, quote, don't forget your brotherhood. And he disappears and young Leonardo disappears. And then they all get to go home um, with Venus, who has somehow survived this story where, like, people are dropping left and right. And I should point out by all, I mean, you mean Not just the three remaining turtles of the original Mirage Comics series and Venus. And then none of the other turtles from any other multiverse. No, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. They're still and dead. <laughs> they specifically ask Renette, can't you bring back the other multiverses? And she's like, nope. Uh, other universes, not other multiverses. So that's dark. And then, but we get into the epilogue, which I really like in some ways. Maybe not the very, very end of the writing, but I feel Made like- different this on this a, point. What's that? Sorry, go. We may oh. differ on this point. I don't know that I liked this epilogue. Okay. I think I ways. like it more go on. in concept about how it could have been done than how it was actually done. Because I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Well, we get a brief scene with like it's been a month, the turtles are back, you know, Venus is settling in, and you know, Splinter's adopted her. She she has an actual name that is not a Renaissance artist, by the way. Uh, Venus de Milo is her nickname, but like she has a Chinese name that she was actually given. Um, Maybe but I, I forget what it is. Um, okay. Well, they also don't include any of the accents, so who the fuck knows how you pronounce that? Well, someone. It, I think maybe. that's how it was pronounced, but I don't know if that's actually pronounced if you actually. Well, it was pronounced with no accents at all. <laughs> no. Anyway, but that's just like for them to be a, a month to pass and then be like, I wonder where Leonardo is and whether he's okay. Leonardo wakes up at a comic convention. He is a child named Leonardo, um, or sorry, sorry, Leon, named Leon, who has, is apparently obsessed with the Ninja Turtles. It takes a little time for him to piece this out because he does not have any memories. He has like full-ass Leonardo memories and like his family's there and like they've been dealing with his Ninja Turtles obsession and like insisting on being called Leo or whatever. And like, it's, it's weird to them. But they're like, oh yeah, okay, like you don't want to miss your thing. Like meet us back here. And and he has enough presence of mind to just be like, yeah, yes, okay, I will meet you back here, parental units or something, and wanders off. <laughs> yeah. He's looking for the creator. Why is that? Why does he have an idea about the creator? I was mentioned by his parents about how the reason the oh, whole reason that they'd come here is so that was to meet the turtles creator. creator. Right. And so he's like, well, that, that must be what's going, what I need to do here. And he seeks out, um, <laughs> he seeks out the turtle's creator uh, in the comic book yeah. convention. You see, I like how he sees someone dressed as Savage Dragon. He's like, off, why, why is that person dressed as Officer Dragon, who I have like, you know, met multiple times. <laughs> I also like that he's looking for the turtle's creator and he walks up to Frank Miller and he's like, I I'm looking for the creator. And Miller's like, uh, yeah, you found me. You're a fan of Sin City. He's like, no, I mean the Turtles creator. And Frank Miller's like, get lost, kid. 
Yeah, it was kind of random. It's kind of funny. Like, um, it felt a little bit, I don't know, felt a little bit flat to me. It was like, I don't, I don't know, it's, it's funny, but like in a very, um, oh, what's the right word for this? Like corny, way campy. It's almost campy the way it's done. It is. You all know what I mean. Yeah. And, but eventually he finds Kevin Eastman, who's there at a booth. Like, apparently there's not a huge long line because Kevin Eastman has a lot of time to chat with this kid about turtles. And in a very narrative way, Kevin Eastman is very forthcoming about information that one might think, you know, he would not need to say out loud about, you know, but like the conversation is there so that like Leo can hear a lot of these things enough to pick up that like, wait, me and my brothers are a comic series and a, and a like movie series and stuff. Wondered if this, like this conversation they have was pulled from the, like one of the author's experiences of going to a convention and talking to Eastman because like, he has a whole conversation about it. Eastman's talking about like, oh, this is how I came up with the concept he shows in the original uh, doodle of the the turtle on a napkin, right? The original turtle. And they talk about, you know, remember that the original doodle was like way more uh, goofy, cartooning, squat looking, if y'all recall that. And I just, I don't know. It was very, uh, it was very nerdy, but like, I'm not sure if I liked it or not. Like, there's a part of me that likes it. Like, as a fan, I kind of like it. But it also feels like stretching itself so far away from where they were going before. Well, here's what I, what I want to like about it, even though it's not emphasized nearly enough. A lot of the gist of the conversation is, like, Eastman being like, yeah, it's funny the Turtles got so popular as they did, and, you know, oh, yeah, like, uh, all those movies and stuff. But, and yeah, like we'll see if there's any future turtle projects in the works, right? Like, you know, we'll see if there's the demand there or whatever, like if we get to do it. And it, the cavalier destruction of multiple turtles universes earlier in the story, permanent destruction. I really like that. If it's a commentary on the cancellation of series that like, for example, the, the, the cartoon series was like such a big deal and people loved it and it's over it's gone it's never coming back it's done like it's it's that universe has in a sense been destroyed outside of fan fiction the archie comics series which is a total cult classic i know because it went so off the rails in so many ways it's like well it's done now it's gone like the, there's no more archie comics turtles like being published anywhere in any way outside of fan fiction of course and so if if that was what they were emphasizing that like these universes you know, they live and then they die, like, and then it's kind of up to the fans to maintain them or something or, like, keep their memory alive or something. That would have been cool, but that's not really what it actually emphasizes. It's just what I wanted to emphasize. I feel like there was a way to make that point, and they, authors of this really didn't do the work necessary in order for for that part of the idea to come through especially especially since uh in the absence like if you're considering this as part of canon what they've effectively done is they've ended it themselves like they've ended well, the possibility of fan fiction continuing on after this <laughs> by saying the universe is now dead no one can make anything that goes <laughs> into these things after this point well um, i you can't write an authoritative fan fiction, but but you're right that there's multiple things that would have needed to have been done for that to work. And one of those things is for all of those vignettes in each universe 
to have taken place at the end of the series, which they very distinctly did not. Right. <laughs> uh, and then I feel like it gets a little further bogged down from the idea of that point in the last couple paragraphs, which just like pulls us even further away from the source, like by it's sort of like you continue staring into the browser window of your computer's monitor from the comfort of your home so like now it's talking about us as the reader i don't know how did you all feel about that last part I, oh i didn't like that yeah it was I just was like, like oh but what was cute right but uh yeah this felt to me like that sort of uh didactic storytelling method wherein I mean, frequently a character in a piece, but in this case, the narrator then turns to the audience and makes a point um, about like what all summing everything up and telling you what everything meant, which is often a very bad storytelling methodology and has not benefited from a, it being the author of okay. the piece rather than the character that does the turning to the audience. That's a good point. I do feel like it's supposed to be evocative of like, you know, like, Rosalind and you know as end of as you like it being like turning towards the audience and saying like oh is if I was a woman I'd kiss as many of you as had beards and you're supposed to go like wait but you're supposed to be a woman but oh you're a boy playing a woman you know because it's supposed to be maybe it's the actor talking maybe it's the character it's almost like it's like they're trying to evoke that but they don't do it look I because mean... they jumped out and they said I'm the author and I'm telling you what you're thinking and what you're feeling and that's where I was like ugh you were so close because the cute part is they say, oh, maybe you're the one who transcended through through reading the story, through telling stories. Like they have a good idea. They just, they get a little uh, preachy, I guess. Yeah. But if they, if they had backed up that idea with uh, the themes of the work up until this point, it might be forgivable, but it really didn't. And additionally, I mean, I think, Shakespeare is one of the only people who's ever done that turning to the audience and then telling them a point really actually well. Uh, Shakespeare gets a pass in a lot of cases, and especially this one, just by being really good at writing. <laughs> well, so th there is also, however, after that, a coda, which I've got to be honest, I didn't read because I didn't notice it, because there's no Me link either. at the bottom of the page. <laughs> at the right. bottom of the epilogue page that leads directly to it. Is that right? That's Did I true. It? I, didn't, and, I didn't read it either. I, I just noticed it. So oh. I'm glancing over the coda, and it looks like there is just interminable, time-wonkery, wibbly-wobbly talk uh, going on <laughs> there. Well, I did read the coda. Um, in a way, it's basically reneging on that whole you can't bring back all of the canon thing wherein after like a month of being trapped in this child's body and starting to lose sight of reality uh leonardo uh renette finally shows up to leonardo and returns him to his turtle body and tells him uh the i guess newly formed council is trying to Give him a pass. I don't remember precisely what that was from. Um, giving him a chance to set these things right. Um, so uh, effectively, by pulling the turtles from the cartoon timeline, 
and telling them to actually come along this time and getting them to actually come along uh, rather than staying in their reality and dying, which was a choice that was so unbelievably uh, not sane on their parts in the first place that it should never have happened then. But uh, they he does eventually gets them to come along and because of that, they're able to, because they, they don't, um, the Shogun isn't able to completely wipe that timeline. Renette is then able to restore it, which why we didn't just do all of this at the end of the part in the first place is uh, another thing that doesn't get explained. Um, but then they're able to restore the timelines. Uh, but Donatello, the cyborg Donatello from the I, image comics gets pretty badly wounded and has to go to the turtles the cartoon turtles timeline because the cartoon turtles Donatello thinks that he has a way to fix them it, if you're if this sounds like it's getting a little bit rambly uh then i'm doing a good job of conveying the actual tone as it went in this this uh this piece um and the cartoon turtles timeline in order to balance the timelines the cartoon turtles splinter needs to go with the image comics characters so then you have scenes of cartoon turtle splinter and image Comics splinter meeting one another and them having conversations which is ostensibly interesting but not a lot is done with it uh donatello cyborg donatello gets returned to not being a cyborg but he loses his memories in the process and everyone seems okay with this for reasons um renette shows back up they reunite the timelines. Some minor action takes place. Uh, uh, it's a bit silly. It rambles for a while. It looks like at the end, Leonardo ends up back in the child's body again. That's the one that really makes it even worse. Because again, they didn't like really fix any of the... Like, presumably, because they didn't really... Like, yeah... Uh, they didn't fix everything. They're like, no, we want this to be the ending. The author, I guess, was like, no, we want this to be the ending, wherein Leo is, for some reason, trapped in a child's body. Well, Chris, would it shock you if I told you that there are sequels to this fanfic? Uh, that would certainly make a better explanation for why that might be the case. Yeah, I think than... that's probably why. I think they wanted to leave a plot hook. And I noticed, yeah. glancing through this coda, that they also find time to have Venus decide that she wants to romance Leonardo. Yes, that's also a thing. Uh, I, there's a lot there. I meant to mention that. The Leonardo, of, I should mention, her original timeline. Oh, okay. Which, like, she sticks around with Renette while Renette's going and sort of trying to fix things. Uh, sort of starts uh, learning some time travel magic of her own. Uh, mostly just using the tools that Renette was using when she was an apprentice, but I don't know, maybe maybe that's a, another plot hook for later. Oh, that would be so cool if Venus became the new Renette, like the new apprentice time person. It would be cool, but they don't even leave much of a hook for that. But I grant you, there was something there, and it could be cool. So again, <laughs> if there's sequels, that that does change some things. I mean, this means that where this ends is really a middle rather than an end-end. Yeah, it's almost like... I wonder if the coda, just like, side note, um, it looks like Andrew Modine got to write the most chapters. 
um, of the four authors that are here. Sharon Lee and Jeff Otten only got to write one chapter each, but Jeff Otten wrote the coda. So that's like his, or their, I don't know their pronouns, second contribution to that. So maybe the, they were just like, oh, you know, we noticed you did, you might want to write something else. Do this random thing at the end. I, I don't even know. But they had to wrap it back around so they could keep the continuity going. Just guesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be interesting if maybe that author just w had a lot of things they wanted to write about and so took right. the opportunity <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Anyway, th this was a really interesting fanfic. I don't know if it got, like, I don't really understand the ending in any way, but I did have fun reading it. I mean, I should say, I, I feel like I do understand the ending. I just don't know that it was put together for particularly deep and meaningful reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that part bothers me. But I mean, I, I do think, I mean, I think that they made their intention clear in that they turned to the audience and told them it. But, <laughs> you know. Fair. <laughs> Well, if it bothers uh, you, Chris, you're in the right place, because now is the time when we level complaints against the fanfic before we end on praise. And so I think my main complaint is just that, you know, it might have something to do with there being four authors, but it the themes, the themes, like the point of the fanfic seems muddled and non-cohesive. And like, it's not like they were trying to have some points. There are some themes that at various times they do try to address, such as like the kind of differences between the timelines philosophically or like in 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 how like the Mirage Turtles are more individualistic, but that also makes them less of a team or that kind of thing. I don't even talk about deep philosophical themes like they kind of try to do later on um, or that relationship between, you know, the Turtles as a franchise and the Turtles as people living inside their turtle worlds. Just like none of none of those things come across clearly or very well developedly. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That was um, probably really part of my chief complaint as well. Is that I wanted. I mean, if your whole point at the end is to go and tell your audience about how they should let media affect them, which I think is really sort of what they were getting at in in the name and when they go in terms of the audience. Um, especially if you, like, didn't read the, the second ending, which is sort of implied that, like, either ending is to some extent allowable for the end of the fan fiction really sort of reach a point where you're like well if i can choose the canon that i i follow i might just choose that none of this is acceptable canon to me <laughs> and uh that might just be for the best for everyone yeah i know i feel like oh gosh i feel like covered my complaints already um like but I guess I will wrap it back around and say, like, it just, if you care that much about these characters, first of all, why destroy all these timelines? And, and Motto, you might have been right. They just didn't make their point clear. And that was a big issue is lack of clarity. And I think the biggest thing to me is lack of clarity on why 
the, the Shogun ended up being Leo and how Leo actually got to this point. Because just a series of bad events doesn't drive someone to destroy the universe. Also his motivations. And then, and this might just be a symptom of having multiple authors, but like there were just things that didn't come together like that. And we mentioned like all the artifacts from the beginning. They never seemed relevant. Like I wanted this to just make more sense. Like with all the work that was paid attention to continuity, why couldn't things come together in a better way at the end to a decent conclusion and like to an actual point? <laughs> yeah, um, that's sort of, again, yeah, there were like some real, like for the most part, the characters I thought were written like themselves, except for like you said, in those instances where they did something so that was such a plot hole and so out of character, yeah. like Leo being the Shogun, like that. Which is a big one, right? Yeah, like that was the plot. Yeah. <laughs> so like it was a bit strange. Saying like, no, we will not come help save the multiverse. We will just die in our world. Right. right. Or any of the turtles, because it happens to all of the cartoon turtles as well, which we glanced that's, over in our right, yeah, list. That's right. I forgot about that. Well, I feel like those are some fundamental complaints that we made, unfortunately, tearing at the very roots of this fanfic. But what what do we have to praise? Because I think there's plenty to praise, too. There's something I wanted to bring up since the start of this, which is, it's hard to describe because we've talked about people who are continuity nerds before. But I think this author goes beyond being a nerd for continuity. Well, remember, it's four like, authors. Oh, these authors. That's, of course, right. Yes. But all of them, right? Like it seems they loved the continuity like they loved it so much they wanted to have fun with it it's not just like the idea of oh i'm interested in you know every aspect knowing every detail it was like i'm interested in having fun with those details and i think all, that's another thing to praise too is that all the authors did that it seemed like all the authors were of like mind and were able we mentioned before that's Kind of hard to tell like that's why i keep kind of making the mistake of saying oh this author is i keep forgetting like tonally the chapters sound so similar i'm kind of impressed by how the authors actually did like maybe didn't have plot cohesion but had tonal cohesion i like, clearly were working together very well so i'll praise that yeah i agree i'm sure if we did a close read we would find differences but like this is a passing casual reading it does not it does not feel like it was written being passed between four multiple people um i'd also like to say some some character moments and kind of explanations of some fundamental like differences in perspectives between them mostly in that uh cartoon continuity chapter i feel like are very satisfying like some of those character moments or just sort of like addressing letting characters bounce off each other in fun ways or addressing kind of differences in where the characters are coming from some of those are both fun and occasionally like thoughtful where i'm like oh like we talked about the the rat splinter versus Hamato Yoshi splinter being used in explanation for like the cartoon turtles not killing. Like I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like that's a cool way to think about it. And it's a way that doesn't denigrate the cartoon turtles like it is very tempting to do. Like they did yeah. in, in the official crossover. Well, yeah. <laughs> there were some more and less defensible things that happened. Um I would say uh I, I do agree with both of your points, and those would probably be the things that I would talk about, but in order to say something different, um, I guess it's still sort of related to Tori's point, but uh, 
they do a very good job of like for the most part referencing like where exactly they are in which particular timeline and like going back to i mean like even all of the dates on all of the the chapter titles all of the chapter titles have dates on them we're we're specifically at a year and time in all of these different chronologies um for each different universe which i presume and i haven't like double checked but i presume they do correspond with when an episode aired or when a comic book was published for that part of the timeline just from what i've learned about the authors that shows a lot of detail that's gotta be what they're (laughs) doing it's gotta be yeah you're right i forgot about that too they're not just specific about what you know continuity they're referencing it's the dates and times it's pretty cool And I mean, I do have a certain soft spot for at the very beginning when, or like, you know, in the first couple of chapters where they're like, uh, have a footnote in them, which is see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic 46 and 47 for Savanti Romero's banishment to the priest, the second banishment to the priest worker, stuff like that. It is nice to me uh, because it is on very, um, it, it is a, trope a tool a sort of uh, artistic tool that is used in comic books uh frequently where you reference which comic a specific event happened in that we're going to be it's going to be useful to the events of a current comic right well and just like in a comic it was very helpful in this fanfic (laughs) indeed fair enough i did do some backlog reading so that helped with it all right well, I think that's probably about what we have to say about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Transcension. Thanks very much for tackling this, what turned out to be rather, in some ways, kind of dense reading, especially since we're not completely the target audience. I mean, I, I, uh, I feel like I have a decent exposure to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely not from the era. No, not, <laughs> not that TV right. show. Yeah. <laughs> That one live action TV show that's been lost to time. Turtles in time. Turtles lost in time. <laughs> Turtles okay, lost moving in time. On. There we go. <laughs> I think that's the term mm-hmm. you're looking for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then this was episode 109 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Transcension by four authors, uh, whose names you can find when you're looking at the fanfic at the link that we're going to provide on the show notes. I'll also do a short link there at bit.ly slash rfrtnmtmnts. We'll we'll add an S for multiple (laughs) TMNTs. The intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. And you can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. Uh, Our editor, who I think had a tough job today with various dog barkings and such, is Dom Davis. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic. You can send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. We're available a few other places on the internet. We've got a YouTube 
and uh, Instagram and such too, all retro fanfic. And you can also leave comments or reviews on the podcast service that you use to listen to us, which is also very helpful and appreciated. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And I'm Chris. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other and avoid too heavy mutations. Until next time, take care. And you avoid mutations. Yeah, I mean, I want the, like, useful mutations. I don't think well, being the ninja had to do with being a mutant yeah. particularly. I mean, certainly yeah. being humanoid helped, but... I guess so. Teenage ninja mutant turtles. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the best you can do is yes, I do. rub some mutant <laughs> on yourself and then expose yourself to some animal. Well, I need to find the Utrom. I have a dog. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs>